Let's turn now to Psalm 104. This is our Old Testament reading this morning. Psalm 104, a great psalm which speaks of God's kingly reign over all things and His fatherly provision for all things. Psalm 104, or read the whole psalm. Let's give all our attention now to this. This is God's very word. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. He sends the springs into the valleys. They flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them, the birds of the heavens have their home. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he planted, where the birds make their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high hills are for the wild goats. The cliffs are a refuge for the rock badgers. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. You make darkness, and it is night, in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. There the ships sail about. There is that Leviathan which you have made to play there. These all wait for you, that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand, they are filled with good. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to Him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Now our New Testament reading and our sermon text here is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. 
Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 34. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Thanks be to God for his word to us. Let's pray to him now together and ask that he bless it to our hearts. Gracious Lord God, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, grant us. What we are not, make us. Even conforming us to the image of your Son and working in us all those good things which are ours in Christ by your Spirit, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. There's never been a doctor of the human heart like Jesus Christ. He is the great physician, and we see this throughout his earthly ministry. No one could diagnose spiritual heart trouble like Jesus could. We see it all over uh, in, in many conversations, many interactions that Jesus has. Uh, we see it with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus sees right through him. He sees exactly what the issue is in his heart. We see it with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, right? Jesus, again, he, he meets her. He sees right into her heart. He knows what her spiritual heart problem is. We see it in the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 as Jesus addresses him. 
We see it with the scribes and the Pharisees all over the Gospels, right? Jesus sees their, their sin. We've seen it already in the first, cha- first half of Matthew chapter 6 as we work through this chapter together. The first half of Matthew chapter 6 is Jesus addressing the spiritual heart problem of hypocrisy and, and, and drawing out our hypocrisy, right? He shows us in that first uh, half of, of this chapter um, how, how we, we give to the poor and we pray and we fast. All these things which are ostensibly, right, supposedly for God, but, but underneath our hearts are so often doing them for others or doing them for ourselves. Instead of, instead of being driven by a desire to please our Heavenly Father, we're just trying to do what we want to do. We're self-focused and self-worshipping, even in what's supposed to be worship to God. And Jesus, he, has, he seems to have spiritual x-ray vision into our very hearts. He sees our deep hypocrisy that we are not seeking to live for our Heavenly Father. But our hearts are complicated things, and even as Jesus has just diagnosed our hypocrisy, He now turns and He sees another issue in our hearts. Uh, another issue is related to hypocrisy, actually. It has the same, the same root cause. The symptoms are different, but the cause is the same. And it's, uh, Jesus looks and He sees anxiety as well. Right, both of these things, hypocrisy and anxiety, they're both a desire, uh, right, right, this, this need we feel to please others and please ourselves rather than to please our Heavenly Father. We're hypocrites and we're worried about it, right? right we're, we're, we want to please others and we're anxious when it's not happening. Uh, we, we fail to trust the Father's care and provision for us. We are so worried. A few years ago, a well-known journalist published a book called An Anxious Age. And he was arguing that as he looks around, he sees people are getting more and more anxious all the time. And it does seem that way, doesn't it? You look around and and their uh, anxiety seems to be becoming more widespread. We all seem to be more worried about more things. But Jesus shows us here that anxiety is an age-old disease. As he addresses this, we are all worried about all kinds of things. You know what your worries are. We are all anxious. So Jesus has something crucial and vital to say to our anxious hearts. He puts his finger right on the root cause. And he says, the root cause of your worry and your fear and your anxiety, the root cause is a failure to live for your Father's kingdom and a failure to trust your Father's care. It's a failure to live for your Father's kingdom, and it's a failure to trust your Father's care. Jesus puts his finger on that, and then he says, now here's the cure. It's to live for your Father's kingdom. It's to trust your Father's care, because you're in the Father's kingdom, and I I, I am your Savior. So let's let's draw this out now. We're going to look at um, anxiety's cause and anxiety's cure. We're going to do it under two headings as we work through the text before us. The first is this, live for your Father's kingdom. Verses 19 through 24 here. Live for your Father's kingdom. In these verses, 19 to 24, the first section of this block of teaching that we're looking at, Jesus challenges us to think about three questions. Three questions. First, in verses 19 to 21, he asks us, where is your treasure? He says, verses 19 to 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where's your treasure? Jesus is asking us. He says your treasure is going to be in one of two places. It's either going to be in the here and now, in in the things of this earth, in the kingdom of this world, and and your own little petty kingdom that you're building, or your treasure, your, your life's investment is going to be in the kingdom of heaven, in heaven where God is and with what God is doing. And Jesus spells out the risks for us of these two investments that we can make with our lives, doesn't he? He says, you lay up treasure for yourselves on earth, uh, then if you know, you're putting your life and your energy, your time, your resources, pouring yourself into the things of this earth, then it's going to prove worthless. It's all going to be empty in the end because the things of earth are inherently uh, decaying and wearing out. And the kingdoms of earth are going to come to an end. And no matter how much you try to secure that earthly treasure, it will not last. Have you ever had the experience of, of saving up something and treasuring up something, storing it up, and then it just didn't work out? Um, my dad, as a young kid, went to a wedding, and the cake at the wedding was particularly good. So he took some of that cake. Um, I, think, I think someone actually gave, gave him some, uh, to be fair to him. He gave him some of this leftover cake from the wedding, and he, he took it home, and, and he's the kind of person who likes to save something for the future. So he took this cake, and he stuck it in a bag, in his bedroom. And he left it there for some time, weeks, I think. And then, finally, he's going to go enjoy his cake. So he goes and he opens up the bag and there's bugs crawling all over it. Right, he, he stored up his treasure. He stored up his, his investment. And in the end, empty, worthless, waste of time. And, and, and that's exactly what Christ is saying happens to, to our investment of time, energy, and resources in the things of this earth. They're not going to last. John Piper has a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And he talks about how growing up, he had a, in that book he talks about how when he was growing up as a child, his parents had a plaque in their kitchen which made an impression on him. And it was a little, a little poem that goes like this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's when we, when we lose sight of those things that last, of the kingdom of heaven and the things of Christ and, and, and of, of heaven itself, when we lose sight of those things, and we start investing everything we are in these failing and fading things, that's, that's when anxiety gets a hold of us, isn't it? Because we start worrying about all these things which we cannot control and we cannot keep rather than, rather than resting in our Father's good and certain and stable kingdom. So don't give yourself to laying up treasures in this kingdom, in this world. Give yourself... There's a, there's a, there's, there's a much safer investment. right? There's a much more stable and secure thing to be giving yourself to. It's the kingdom that cannot be shaken, as the author of the Hebrews says. And that is the kingdom of heaven. Is that your treasure? Is that what you're giving everything you have and are for? The second question Jesus asks as He works through the causes and cures of our anxiety and tells us that we need to be living on our Father's kingdom. The second question he asks here is, what is your focus? 
What is your what is the focus of your spiritual vision? Where are your where are your eyes looking? He says in verses 22 to 23, he says the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus is saying if your spiritual eyesight is good, if the eyes of faith are clear and unclouded, if the Holy Spirit has given you faith and you see clearly who God is and what he's doing, if your attention is not distracted and divided by the things of this world, but it's fixed on your Father and on his kingdom, on those things, if your eyesight is good in, in those ways, you're, you're going to be full of light, full of, full of God's truth, and uh, you won't be anxious because you'll understand who God is and you'll understand what he's doing. You'll know who he is. You'll see that clearly. But if your attention is divided, and if you've been distracted and, and your spiritual eyesight is fixed on the things of this world, then your vision's going to get blurry. And you won't be able to see clearly anymore who God is and what he's doing. It's a scary thing not to be able to see. I had a friend once who, uh, who lost their vision temporarily, just for a few minutes. It was a terrifying thing. I couldn't see. Um, it's a temporary thing, but those few minutes were, were frightening. And, and Jesus is saying, if you if you lose your if you take your eyes off of what who God is and, and what He's doing, then your spiritual vision is not fixed on the kingdom of heaven, and you're going to you're going to start going blind, and you will become consumed with worry because you'll start asking questions like, "What's God doing? Can I trust Him?" How do I know he's good? How can I, know, how can I be sure he's, he's doing what's best for me? Right? Those are the types of questions that anxiety asks when we take our eyes off of him. The third question Jesus asks is this. Who is your master? In verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus gives us a choice between two alternatives, two masters. And he says, there's only one throne in your heart. Only one throne. Who's on it? He talks about mammon here. That's just a word that means possessions, riches, right? Money and the things that money buys. Stuff, right? The stuff in our magazines and the stuff on Instagram and the stuff in our stores and the stuff in our homes. All these possessions that we, that we have, Jesus is saying, who is, who, is, uh, who is your master? Is it these things? Or is it God? Now, of course, all these things, money, possessions, right? they're not necessarily bad things in themselves. Um, money is not the root of all evils, right? but it's the love of money that is. Right? It's, 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 it's money itself, the resources God gives us. These are His gift. And they can be a wonderful, good thing when they're used as a servant for his sake, as we are servants and sons in his kingdom, using them for his sake. It's once, once money and possessions becomes your master rather than your servant that, uh, that everything goes sideways, everything goes wrong, um, and you begin to get anxious about it. You can be anxious about it, um, uh, right? Uh, you can be worried about it, um, whether you have it or whether you don't. Uh, worried about getting more of it, worried about keeping what you already have safe, um, worried about these things. 
So ask, your, ask yourself, is, is money, our possessions, or the things of earth and the things of this kingdom, the treasures here, are they in charge of me? Am I working more for them than I am for the Lord? Do you think more highly of what financial resources can give you than you do of what God can give you? Do you think more highly of the security that money promises than the security that your Heavenly Father and His kingdom promises? This will lead you to anxiety, loved ones. So don't let your heart be ruled and mastered by possessions and the things of this earth. So Jesus takes these three questions. Right? We said he's, the, he's, he's uh, the, 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 the great physician. He diagnoses our spiritual heart trouble, our, our anxiety. And he takes these three questions and he asks us, where's your treasure? Where's your focus? Where's, who, who's, your, who's your master? Drawing out from us the causes of our anxiety. And these are the things that make us anxious. Right? When we forget this is God's kingdom we're living in, we're to be living for him and living uh, with, with that purpose. Um, it's when we lose sight of that that we become anxious. There's another aspect to the cause of our anxiety. It's not just that we uh, don't live uh, for our Father's kingdom and don't live remembering we're in His kingdom. Um, we, also, we also forget uh, of His care and His love for us and, and we fail to trust Him. And that's where Jesus moves next as he, as he turns in the rest of the text to address this. He, he turns to us and he says, the next thing, right, so the first thing, live for your Father's kingdom. And the second thing, trust your Father's care for you. This is verses 25 through 34. Trust your Father's care. When our hearts uh, forget that God is our Father and we are His children, they become fertile soil for the seeds of worry. So Jesus, Jesus knows this, so he prescribes five things in response in these verses here. The first thing he does is he reminds us to get some perspective. He reminds us that we are living in the Father's kingdom and, and we're to live for him. He says, verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? He said, you need a bigger perspective. We so easily get sucked into thinking that uh, our life is about satisfying and meeting our physical needs and our physical desires. And our world can get shrunk down to the contents of our refrigerators and our closets. Right? And those are the things that we're thinking about. And, and um, these are, again, they're good things from God. They can be some of life's joys and pleasures, but they are not the meaning of life. Jesus is saying when you forget that, that's when anxiety comes in. Don't live as though they are the purpose of life. You're living in your Father's kingdom. And He's given you a glorious purpose to glorify and enjoy Him forever, to, to bear witness to Him, to serve Him, uh, to, to worship Him. Don't forget, that is your purpose. And that's what He's called you to. Get some perspective, He says. The second thing, He reminds us that our Father loves us. He places, the Father places a high value on us. Jesus points us to the birds here. He says, your heavenly Father cares for the birds. 
Uh, he feeds the birds. He provides for them. So he, he shows you that he values his creation. And if he values the birds, which are you know, not, not the most significant part of his creation, surely also he's going to value you and care for you and, and, and be full of loving, careful provision for your needs. We recently got some uh, baby chicks at our house. We've been taking care of them. Um, and they're, they're a lot of fun, but also a lot of work. But if my children looked at how, how I was taking care of them and then started to say, well, you love them more than you love me. You take care of them, but you're not taking care of me. It'd be, that'd, be, that'd be a crazy thing for them to say. Of course, if I take care of the baby chicks, I'm going to take care of my children. And Jesus is saying, look around you. Your father in heaven is feeding the birds. Do you know how much more valuable you are to him than they He loves you. He's going to take care of you. He unpacks this further, uh, pointing to the flowers of the field. He says, look at the flowers. Look how beautifully God clothes the flowers. Not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like the lilies of the field. And if that's how your Heavenly Father treats a tiny little flower, which today is there and tomorrow is gone, How much more is he going to take care of you and make sure you have what you need? Jesus is making an argument here from the lesser to the greater, right? He's saying if the father has has uh, cared for cared for all his creation this way and and you know, he loves you so much more and values you so much more. Surely he's going to care for you also. It's the same kind of argument that we read in. in Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans 8.32, Paul makes this same kind of argument, but he ratchets it up even further. He says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul's saying, look at what God has given you in Jesus Christ. Is he going to fail to provide for you and care for you and love you once he's given you that gift? There is no limit, dear ones, to the Father's love and care for His children. If you are His, He will care for you and provide for you. He loves you. Now, some people listen to Jesus' words here, and, uh, and they can say, well, this means we don't really need to plan ahead, right? Uh, live for today, don't worry about tomorrow, right? Blue the bear, uh, bear necessities, right? That's all we need to worry about. Um, we don't need to worry about planning ahead. Of course, that's not at all what Jesus is saying here. Um, scripture makes this clear also. Proverbs chapter 6 says, Go consider the ants' ways and be wise. Get to work, plan ahead, prepare for the future. Winter's coming. Um, if you don't, poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So Jesus is not contradicting Scripture here. He's not saying, don't plan ahead and don't prepare and don't be wise stewards of what God's given you. But he is saying, no matter how hard you work or how responsible you are or how well you plan, don't rely on that. Rely on your Father's love for you. Because it's His care and His provision. He gives you everything that you have. It's not your work that earns it. It's His gift to give. Rely on His provision for you. So the Father loves His children. The third thing Jesus reminds us of is that our Father is in complete control. 
verse 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Uh, or we could, uh, we could also understand this verse as saying, which of, which of you, by worrying, can add one hour to your life? The idea is of, of these things that we stress about that we, that, we, that we can't control, that aren't in our control. But Jesus isn't saying here um, what we might hear in, in kind of popular psychology. Don't worry about the things you can't change. Right? That's not what he's saying. He said, you know, if, if you can't change it, don't worry about it. Accept what happens. He's not saying that. His point is much more profound than that. He's, he's reminding us, you're not the sovereign king. Right? You can't change anything about yourself or anything about your circumstances. Ultimately, it's the Father who's sovereign and the Father who's in control. He's determined how tall you are and how long your life will be. He's determined everything about you. He's determined and ordained from before the foundation of the world every circumstance of your life, no matter how stressful it might seem. He's ordained it. He's in control. Ukraine, inflation, health problems, whatever it is, He's in control. And you're not. And as long, dear ones, as long as we try to be, we are going to be anxious. Because it's all out of our control. But He is the King. So bow down before Him and, and, and acknowledge His sovereign control of you and everything around you. And rest in that. Rest in your King. Fourth, Jesus promises us, our Father knows what we need. So he said, Jesus has said to us that um, we need to get perspective. We're living in the Father's kingdom. Then he says, uh, remember the Father's love for us. Then he says, remember that the Father is in control. And now forth, remember the Father knows what you need. Verses 31 to 32. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Jesus again points to the Gentiles. It's interesting. He did the same thing with hypocrisy. He pointed us to how the Gentiles pray. They don't know God as their Father, so they can't pray right. And also, if you don't know God as your Father, you will worry. They don't know. Those who don't know God as their Father think they have to figure out for themselves what they need. And for themselves, how to get what they need. They, uh, they don't belong to Him. They don't know Him as their Father. So they're, they're busy trying to build their own kingdoms and, and rely on their own strength. And they're not trusting in the gracious Heavenly Father to provide everything for them. Jesus is saying, don't live like that. You're in the Father's kingdom. And He knows what you need. You don't know what you need. He knows what you need. You don't know what tomorrow holds. He does. You don't know what the different circumstances that he sends you are for, but he does. Anxiety comes in when we think we know what we need, but we don't think we're getting it. Anxiety leaves when we recognize he knows what I need, and he's going to provide it. Fifth thing Jesus says in verse 34, he promises that uh, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here he's promising us that God has portioned out for each day its trouble, and He will give the grace to you to see through it. 
The Lord gives mercies that are new every morning. We see this wonderful picture in the Old Testament. God's bringing the people of Israel through the wilderness. And He gives them the manna for that day. They can't store it up and save it for tomorrow. They've got to trust. He gave it to me today, what I needed. And tomorrow He's going to give me what I need for that day. And this is how the Father works. He gives us grace for the day. He is sovereignly in control of the trouble the day will hold and the grace that you'll need to get through it. So one day at a time, trusting in His grace, Jesus is saying. All of this, Jesus summarizes for us in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is his summary statement of everything he said. Instead of worrying and and being anxious and building your own kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God, of your heavenly Father, and all these things will be added to you. This is the final cure for anxiety. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? How do we do that? How do we seek first the kingdom of God? What is is the kingdom of God anyway? It's not an abstract thing. Jesus isn't saying, get behind my cause, get behind this this cause, and then you won't be anxious anymore. He's saying, seek God himself. Seek me, myself. One writer says, Christ is the essence of the kingdom. And it's absolutely right. The kingdom is not some abstract thing. It's God coming to rule over his people, defeat all their enemies, and bring in the glorious reign of peace that he's promised through all Scripture. He himself brings the kingdom. So to seek first the kingdom is to seek first the king. To put him first and and to to, to look to him and to surrender your will to his. Kevin DeYoung writes, The kingdom comes when and where the king is known. So we seek the kingdom. We seek first the kingdom by seeking first the king himself. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. He also says, seek his righteousness, right? Seek to, to have that, 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 uh, that life of living to please the Father. Righteousness is not an abstract commitment to some, some abstract moral standard, but it's a life lived before the face of God to please him. Jesus says, seek that faithful, obedient life to your heavenly Father. Make that your deepest desire and you will find your anxieties melting away as you give your life to the King, His kingdom, and His righteousness. You'll find He's providing everything for you, either by giving you what you thought you needed or by retraining you to think more along His lines of what you need. Sinclair Ferguson says He's never failed one of His children. All we need He will provide. Many of the things we thought we needed, we now discover we did not really need and do not now want. You'll find as you do this that uh, not only does he give what you need, but he himself is, is what you need. Now, dear ones, we began the sermon by saying that Jesus, right, he's the great physician here. He's diagnosing our anxious hearts. And and at at the root of it all, is a failure to live for the Father's kingdom and trust the Father's care. And as we've seen, that's really the same root problem under the hypocrisy that Jesus started talking about in the first half of Matthew 6. 
So as, as, we, as we draw chapter 6 here of, of the Sermon on the Mount to a close, I want to zero in on this, on this one main root problem that Jesus has been identifying and just consider together how Christ addresses, addresses this. At, at the root of hypocrisy and at the root of anxiety is this sense. God is not gracious, and I have to earn His favor. But at, Jesus says over and over in, 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 in this sermon, He's your Father. Call Him your Father. You're His Son. And so this tells us something fundamental about our relationship with God. It's that we are, we, he, he loves us apart from our work to earn anything from Him. Right? A son is born into his father's love. He doesn't work to earn his father's love. He just is born and his father loves him. Jesus is saying, you are a son. He loves you. You might think, well, wait a minute. I wasn't born into the father's family. I was born in sin. I was born under the wrath of God, not his grace. He was my judge before he was my father. Right? I don't naturally have a place in myself, in, in his family. I don't belong in his kingdom at all. I'm a sinner. And so much of the time, still, I, I live as though I'm still an enemy to him. I'm not a loving, obedient child. So how can I be sure I really belong in his kingdom and I really have a place in his family? And, and how can I be sure he's really going to continue his grace to me and continue his care and provision for me? Don't I have to do more? Don't you know what kind of sinner I am? Why shouldn't I be anxious that he might let me go and be done with me? What's the answer to that question? It's Jesus himself, isn't it? Right? As he preaches this sermon on the mount, and he says to his disciples, call God your father. Trust him as your father. Live in his kingdom as his son. And he's saying those things because he knows that he himself is the reason you can do that. Because he himself, right, he's the reason we have a place in the Father's kingdom. He's the obedient son, the faithful son, the righteous son. He died for my sins, so I have a place in his kingdom. I'm forgiven and cleansed, right? He lived that life of righteousness that I'm clothed with now. So I do have a place here. I do have a place in God's kingdom and in his family. In Christ, God reaches down and adopts me. And He brings me out of that sin and places me in His family. And He brings us into the very same relationship with God that Jesus Christ enjoys. And all the blessings and privileges and love that God lavishes on, lavishes on, on Jesus, He now lavishes on those who are in Jesus. On you, as undeserving as you are in yourself. So we can hear the Father's voice say, you are my beloved Son, and I am well pleased with you because you're adopted in Jesus Christ. This is the stupendous and amazing and wild grace of God. To adapt some words of J.F. Packer, we are not fit for a place in God's family. The idea of His loving and exalting us sinners as He loves and has exalted the Lord Jesus sounds ludicrous and wild, and yet that and nothing less than that is what Christ has done. So keep your eyes on Him, the great physician Himself, the only cure for anxious hearts. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, thank You for Jesus Christ and the glorious and rich and, and full salvation that's ours in Him. 
Father, we confess uh, that we are often anxious and that we often do not live for your kingdom and don't live trusting in your care. So please, please, we ask, by your Holy Spirit, the very Spirit that, 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 that strengthened Christ for his obedience, strengthen us with true faith in you and a sweet assurance of your love. And keep us from worry. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.